0: This is Wilderness and Wildlife, presented by the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. This is a half-hour program featuring commentaries and interviews with wildlife and wilderness advocates relating to the unique natural environment that we enjoy in the wildlands of the West and all across America. I'm your host, Jay Shell. Our guest today is Dave Pacheco. Utah grassroots organizer for the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, a fifth-generation Utahan from Salt Lake City. He's in his second stint with, uh, with the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance, having held similar positions with the organization from 1994 to 2004, and then rejoining the staff in 2014. His focus is educating and bringing together individuals and groups in support of protecting the remaining wildlands at the heart of the Colorado Plateau, unnecessary road construction, and rampant off-road vehicle use. On his own time, Dave prefers hiking, paddling, bike touring, and quiet recreation all over the western U.S., especially in the Red Rock country of southern Utah. Dave is host of the Alliance's Wild Utah Podcast. So, welcome, Dave. It's good to be talking with you. How are things in Southern Utah?
1: Good, Jay. Thanks for having me. Uh, I was actually just down in Southern Utah this past weekend and got to experience some of the
0: uh, heavy rains
1: down there. Chased, <laughs> us the, chased us out of the canyons.
0: So. Well, I used to. Uh, I used to go hiking down there in the Perea Canyon. So, uh, did, how's how's it surviving? The heavy rain.
1: Well, there's been a lot of flash floods down in the Grand Staircase-Escalani National Monument area. Uh-huh. Uh, kind of all across southern Utah. The monsoon's been pretty big down there this year, so people are keeping a heads up.
0: Uh-huh. Great. So tell us, uh, what are the controversial issues that are being debated down there over the use of public lands?
1: Well, where do I start?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's start with uh, national monuments. Been okay. been more in the news lately. Okay. So, of course, the uh, there are two big monuments down in southern Utah that are managed by the Bureau of Land Management, primarily. They are the Grand staircase Escalante National Monument that was established in 1996 by proclamation of then-President then President Bill Clinton. Uh-huh. And then there's the, that's down in south-central Utah, and then in southeastern Utah. Uh, more recently, the Ears National Monument was established by proclamation of President Obama in late 2016, there's a very unique issues that are going on with both of them, uh, and we could talk about each of them individually, but the, kind of the most current thing is that people will remember in 2017, uh, Donald Trump, uh, essentially took scissors to both of them, uh, cutting Grand Staircase Escalante in half and Bears Years, uh, by 85% reduction. Uh, those monuments, both of them have been restored by President Biden. Uh, That happened almost a year ago now, on October 8, 2021, and the Bureau of Land Management and other agencies uh, are together working with a lot of the tribes that ask for these monuments uh, on management plans, new management plans, uh, that we're hoping can be enacted uh, sometime within the next couple of years. Those planning processes are well underway. The scoping period for Grand Staircase Festival just closed last week, and the Bears Year scoping period is open for another approximately 30 days. I think it's uh, October 31st is the, uh, the deadline for comments. So uh, they're doing public scoping. They're taking public comments right now on Bears and that's where most of our focus is, is to make sure the agency installs adequate and respectful management plans that will last for the longer term.
0: Well, during that period when uh, the Trump administration had reduced the boundaries, was there any uh, any damage uh, that was or any harm that was done in those uh, national monument areas?
1: There was some. Uh, in the case of Grand Staircase Escalante, uh, the agency really worked hard at uh, passing what they call vegetation removal, or uh, what we call vegetation removal projects what they call vegetation treatment. Essentially, uh, it involves, in some cases, chicken, which is kind of the old way of just tearing out the trees, uh, mostly to make way for cattle feed. The uh, process kind of bumped up during the Trump administration, but we were able to stop most of them uh, from actually happening. Uh, it was a big threat at the time. Uh, we seem to have passed that, although some of them are coming back. They're kind of, they never call them completely gone. Um, So some of those ideas are also being proposed again. Uh, So we're working really hard on that. Uh, Another form of that is what they call mastication, uh, which is essentially uh, chopping the trees down from the top and just kind of lowering a a lawnmower blade on it, uh, a rotary blade that munches up the trees. Um, All of this is being done ostensibly in the name of protection, protecting those trees and protecting the habitat and restoring the habitat of the area. When we look at it as essentially making more room for cattle grazing, public lands, cattle ranching on these national monuments. Uh, on the Bears' side, uh, more of the, uh, kind of the current issues that we're seeing and the damage that was done in the meantime, uh, continued to be in the form of looting of archaeological sites, uh, with essentially nobody out there taking care of the new monument because under the Trump administration there was no increase in staff, and if anything, a decrease in staff for these areas. The documentation of noted looting sites ticked up a little bit. I wasn't part of, I I wasn't part of the actual documentation of those, but groups were following it, especially a group called Friends of Cedar Mason that was down there on the ground monitoring those sites.
0: So has has staffing been improved, and are those cultural resources still endangered? Well, I think the cultural resources are are always going
1: to be in danger just by virtue of the the nature of the, the sites are kind of spread out across such a large area. And in many cases, the Native folks, the Indigenous folks, aren't telling us where the sites are that are really important to them because they don't want them to be publicized. So that's the importance of protecting such a broad area is that the whole place is sacred and they're very meaningful culturally as the ancestral sites of a lot of different tribes. And in this case, in Bears Ears, there were five tribes that came together, the Ute, the Ute Mountain Ute, the Hopi, the Zuni Pueblo, and the Navajo. Uh, All came together, setting aside historical differences to work to protect this place, really for as best as can be done. The problem with staffing is ongoing, although the Biden administration is much more amenable to increasing staff, and they are trying to increase the staff. Though the Bureau of Land Management, if you recall, was essentially decimated by 80% of its staff was eliminated during the Trump administration when they moved the headquarters of the Bureau of Land Management out of D.C. and into Grand Junction and uh, lost centuries of data in people's heads and information and contacts. And just that internal knowledge was really lost, and it's uh, going to be a chore to rebuild it.
0: So I've never been on top of the uh, Grand Staircase Escalante, been around it, but uh, never on top. So what's it like uh, up there? Is there any oil drilling going on?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the, there's a lot of different issues that we follow. Um, one of them is uh, building up roads right now uh, on the way up to the Caparolet Plateau, which are the high points in the Grand Staircase Escalante uh we're working to stop paving of a road that is adjacent to the monument border. Um, the rationale for the road is really to pave it for uh more increased access for livestock grazers. Uh, mm-hmm. we look at it as as, a, as problematic because um, it just continues to build out the infrastructure in what really is a backcountry monument uh and should be left for its uh you know to for its wilderness character. The vast majority of the grass staircase asstallany qualifies as potential wilderness, and we'd like to see it managed that way. And this management planning process is an opportunity for the BLM to get it right. They did get it right back in the late 1990s after the initial monument was established. There was a pretty good plan in place for grass staircase asstallany, and for the most part, those lands were managed for their wild character and to protect the mostly the scientific sites on the Grand Staircase of Stolani, like the paleontology, which is, you know, world-renowned and unique and important. They did a pretty good job in the first 20-something years, but slowly but surely, the agency has kind of migrated away from managing the area as a science monument and managing it more for grazing and public land ranching. And that's kind of what we're looking at today, is to hopefully turn that trend back to focus on science, the important biological, cultural, paleontological ecological values in areas what we think should be emphasized.
0: So is BLM um, more cooperative now than it has been in the past? Well, the agency is very slow to move. These are big bureaucracies,
1: and they don't tend to move very fast. I would characterize that as the folks at the higher levels in interior are a little easier to talk with. Um, They're not the oil and gas industry, for example, that they were in the Trump administration. But it takes a long time to actually make change in a positive manner for the environment when it comes to these big bureaucracies. So we're working with we're working with who's there, and uh, right now there are ears that will at least listen to the ecological and environmental factors.
0: Has Deb Halen been uh, the new Secretary of Interior? Has she been uh, helpful in that regard? Yeah, I would
1: characterize uh, Interior Secretary Deb Holland as willing to listen and certainly more along the, the lines of, you know, thinking ecologically. She's Native American. She's from the Laguna Pueblo down in New Mexico. She was a representative for that congressional district from New Mexico for a couple of years prior to being selected as Interior Secretary. Her track record is pretty strong in terms of protecting the environment. She was a co-sponsor of America's Red Rock Wilderness Act, the legislation that we primarily focus on here at the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would designate approximately 8.5 million acres of qualifying Bureau of Land Management lands in Utah as wilderness. That legislation is still pending in Congress. So we find that her ear is, you know, she listens on these issues. And in terms of just respecting Native Americans and being able to work and understand the culture of how Native Americans make decisions and welcoming those opinions, it's a world change. She's made great strides there, and as the first Native American Secretary of the Interior, that's what she primarily sees her purpose as: is to is to really give voice and give legitimate voice to tribes that have not been listened to for many, many years, and to respect their opinions and to make policy based on those opinions.
0: Uh-huh. So, uh So, Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance or SUA is focused largely are essentially on the southern half of the state of Utah. Is that right? Well, our
1: focus is to work on lands managed by the Bureau of Land Management here in Utah. Uh-huh. Um, most of the lands that are in their natural condition, therefore qualifying as wilderness, are that part of the Colorado Plateau area in south and southeastern Utah. Uh, but there are other Bureau of Land Management lands here in the state that meet that definition of wilderness. And those are out in the Great Basin of our proposal is out uh, kind of in the western part of the state. Uh, It's the Great Basin province, much like Nevada and southeastern Oregon. These are, in many cases, large mountain ranges that are largely intact, roadless areas uh, that we are proposing for wilderness designation in America's Red Rock Wilderness Act. So there are issues out there, too.
0: There are national forests in Utah, uh, and some even down in your part in the southern part of the state Do you deal with Forest Service at all, or are you just uh, pretty exclusively focused on BLM? We
1: focus on Forest Service lands, especially when they're adjoining BLM wildlands. For example, down in Bears Ears National Monument, the Dark Canyon Wilderness area is very much a concern of ours. The Forest Service only manages the upper part of the system, of the canyon system, the lower part of the canyon system is managed by the Bureau of Land Management. So when there are contiguous areas of wildland that span two different agencies' borders, in this case Forest Service and Bureau of Land Management, uh, we're very interested in the continued management of forest lands as wilderness. We have identified quite a few Forest Service areas that are you know, wild and adjacent or should be, Manage this wilderness, or actually, should be designated as wilderness in the Forest Service. You know, have a lot of boundaries of our Bureau of Land Management lands in our Wilderness Bill that abut those areas. So we work, and kind of when they're adjacent to wild land lands, we work on Forest Service lands, sure. even if they're not, even if they're not designated Forest Service wilderness.
0: Uh huh. So during the uh that period when uh, Trump had narrowed the borders of the national monuments was there any harm done to wildlife as a result of uh, what he did
1: I don't know specifically if there was harm to wildlife other than in the interim there was there were the proposals for chaining and masticating trees that has an indirect effect on wildlife of course because it's wildlife habitat as far as real specific damage to particular wildlife, I can't really put a finger on it.
0: What are the, what are the important wildlife issues uh, in that part of the state?
1: Well, kind of throughout the whole southern part of the state, in the Colorado region, Colorado Plateau region, we think that one of the bigger problems, I could say there's two bigger problems with wildlife uh, habitat, and you know, both of them are from the destruction of that habitat. Mm-hmm. One comes in the form of off-road vehicles, which are kind of an, a ubiquitous problem uh, across the plateau, as you know, the off-road vehicles, the UTVs, the ATVs, mm-hmm. etc., um, are geared such that they really can go darn near anywhere. And so, folks, of course, with uh, a lot of adrenaline, decide that they'll take their vehicle darn near anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's a big problem. And the problem comes from really the noise that is you know being emitted into a, a otherwise wild place kicking wildlife, moving them uh, from place to place from their habitat. A lot of these vehicles find that the only way to travel in the Colorado Plateau region is to drive right down the middle of a canyon, which is very problematic because that's where the vast majority of wildlife gather in a desert environment, mm. uh, the place where they come to drink. In many cases, it's the only place they can come to drink. And they get displaced by new road development from road vehicles, noise from awkward vehicles. And that is a problem all across the state. I would say that human recreation is also, uh, like, like non-motorized recreation, is also a problem. And I think we need to reimagine the way these agencies manage recreation uh, instead of managing to or disperse camping of people, like, say, down around Moab, where there's a lot of people and there's a lot of impacts. The agency is starting to shift their focus away from telling people to disperse camp and just go farther out and create new impacts that impact wildlife habitat. We're working to get them to shift that over to managing more in a zonal sort of a way, manage the front country and back country areas and designate routes and designate campsites that people have to camp in, which helps them manage people better and therefore have less impact on the
0: wildlife. Are e-bikes becoming a problem?
1: E-bikes are ballooning, there's no question about that. We actually just Printed an op-ed in the Salt Lake Tribune this week about our stance on e-bikes, mm. uh, and any, anyone can find it by googling e-bikes on the Salt Lake Tribune website. Our position basically is that e-bikes are motorized vehicles. They really are. That's what they are, and they are not human-powered only at times. But the problems with the, the speed uh, and the ability for more of them to churn up soils more because there's a motor really start to cause more damage. Uh, and the agency simply needs to manage them
0: better, well they also you know, enable getting getting further into the back country.
1: Well, there's that possibility for sure, and you know the creation of you know user created routes is problematic everywhere in the country. Right. Uh, when it comes to Colorado Plateau, it's particularly uh, evident because there's not as much vegetation, there's not as much rain, there's not as much water and therefore the, the scars are left longer, and they're more damaging when they do happen.
0: So there's a Utah lawsuit over the Grand Staircase Escalante, what's that lawsuit about?
1: Well, it was a lawsuit about both of the monuments, uh, about Bears Ears and Grand Staircase Escalante together. And essentially the lawsuit is even more broad than that. It's a lawsuit filed by the state of Utah and a couple of counties in southern Utah that argue that the Antiquities Act the enabling mechanism, the law that allows presidents to protect public lands, they're saying that the law is too broadly being applied here. And specifically, their argument is about the size. And every time that this argument has been made, because it's been made before, every judge, every court has in the past ruled on the side that presidents can make monuments at the size needed to protect the objects that are specified in the monument proclamation. And in both of these cases, those those proclamations were very specific about the objects. And as we talked about before, when you're talking about some of the last remaining large landscape, biologically connected areas, that's the reason these monuments need to be the size that they are. And so that lawsuit is now pending a hearing, and it hasn't been scheduled yet, just a recent thing, on whether or not size can be the question here, whether or not monuments can be as large as these. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll remind listeners that this is the way that we got the Grand Canyon in the first place. It was first a national monument, and so was the Grand Tetons, a national monument. And many others were started as national monuments that were later elevated to national park status by the Congress. And in fact, it's the very same law that gave Utah four of its five national parks. Only Canyonlands lands was not a national monument prior to becoming a national park. So Zion, Bryce, Arches, and Capitol Reef were all national monuments, and then elevated later to that status as a national park. And we don't know if that's going to happen with the Grand Staircase and Bears Ears areas, but those lands are deserving of protection, and you know we're arguing that Wilderness is the highest level of protection you can give them. Monuments are good; they're also protective. But we're going to defend it as well. We're going to, uh, at some point when the time is right, with the tribes who are involved in the Bears Bear Ears campaign, uh, intervene on behalf of the federal government so that we can have our voice heard too. Uh, that the monument size is really important, and uh, we should be able. To, the president should be able to protect large areas because of the nature of the
0: issues here. And uh, how about Lake Powell? Uh, since the lake level is is dropping, do you have a position on Lake Powell?
1: Well, we tend to let a lot of the rivers groups in Utah work on
0: the Lake Powell issues. So we, uh,
1: you know, we, there's room for a lot of groups there. Uh, there are several groups that handle the issue, and we're not we're not one of them. Although we support what they're doing, um, you know. Mostly, the the long term solution for Lake Powell is probably best embodied in the Glen Canyon Institute's proposal to uh, to fill Mead first, and essentially, you know, restructure Glen Canyon Dam so that the penstocks are lower and the water can flow through down to ensure Lake Mead has uh, an adequate supply. The uh, you know these two lakes are in the twenty and thirty percentile uh, of capacity right now. It's only a matter of time before. Glen Canyon Dam is no longer functional and the hydropower is no longer going to be generated. It just needs to be restructured. And um it's not any group or any fingers that can be pointed at say somebody wants to stop Glen Canyon Dam or Lake Powell from existing. Nature's calling the shots here. The drought's calling the shots. Uh, climate climate change is causing this calling these shots.
0: So on your website there's uh you indicate the land grab is an issue. What's that about?
1: Well Land grab is kind of a philosophical thing. In 2012, the state of Utah, the legislature, passed a law, and then the Attorney General filed lawsuits with the approval of the state legislature to sue the federal government for ownership of all the public lands in Utah. Right. Essentially threatening the federal government that, you know, if you don't give us these lands, we're going to sue you. And the federal government essentially didn't blink. The lawsuit never was filed. Um, because they know it's a losing proposition, uh, the enabling clause of the Utah Constitution uh, essentially gave the federal government ownership over these lands, and it's kind of hysterical in some respects. In that the state of Utah, back when it became a state in 1896, kind of looked at these desert lands as the wasteland um, that you know they didn't want. There wasn't water there, and they didn't want to be responsible for it. So. Part of the condition to become a part of the country was that they disclaim ownership of those, what's now 67% of the state, um, for the federal government to own and manage. Um, Because there, for the most part, isn't water. Water is spoken for elsewhere, uh, and the towns uh, were established along the mountain ranges where there is water coming out of the mountains. And that's essentially what Utah still looks like.
0: So I have a sense that uh, the Alliance has... Uh, Long had a, a contentious relationship to the Utah legislature. Is that situation improving, and do you have any any supporters in the legislature, or is it a total well, impasse? Well,
1: sure, we have supporters in the legislature, but for the most part, we don't work there. Um, our work is at the U.S. Congress because that's the ownership of the federal land. There, the federal land, Bureau of Land Management is federal, um, so we work at that level. Our legislation, America's Red Rock Wilderness Act, that we support uh, and have been documenting for 35 years and been watching very closely and uh, on a day-to-day basis, defend intrusions against is all federal. The state legislature wants a piece of the action, but they essentially can't pass laws uh, unless you know that, that affect the federal lands. So for the most part, they ha a lot about the federal lands. They wish they had ownership of it, but they don't. And uh, what is Utah
0: Sylvester?
1: So Utah Sylvester is a piece of our website that really illustrates the importance of kind of looking historically about who was here in Utah and recognizing that our Hispanic and Latino neighbors have a big hand in the way the state was shaped. And we want to help give them voice to what public lands mean to folks of Latinx descent. And it's really interesting how um, Utah is kind of behind this, the, the curve on this. There are a lot of national sorts of groups, like Green Latinos, that talk about why it's important to have protections like wilderness, and monuments that protect wildlife habitat for everyone's enjoyment. And the Utah Southwestern portion of, of SUA's website really gets into a lot of that detail, some of the history, uh, and some of the testimony about why it's important for accessing backcountry areas for people of all different cultures. Mm-hmm. And wildlands, uh, we look at as kind of the, the great equalizer. They're a place for everyone to
0: enjoy, and we want to give voice to that. Well, Dave, we're almost out of time, but uh, what is the website that uh, the Alliance has? How do you get, it, get onto it?
1: Yeah, folks can find us at www.suwa.org. That's for Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance.org. When you get to that website, there's uh, a lot of issues that are kind of current that we've been talking about here that we can do a little more reading on. Uh, you'll also find the Tulsa sylvester there. Uh, and another thing that you can find under the uh, News and Events tab is a link to the Wild Utah podcast that I host. So right. we produce one episode a month where we'll talk about the kind of most important issues to, for these lands uh, during that month. Um, we've got a lot of episodes up recently talking about national monuments, so folks can give us a deep dive. Uh, last month we talked about uh, Grand staircase Escalante. Uh, this month, we're recording, we're in the process of recording another episode. This one focused on the Bears Ears because their scoping comment periods are kind of one after another. So folks can listen in on that, too.
0: Great. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I've I've had some great trips down into southern Utah. I encourage anybody to go on down there. I particularly like a, a spot called Wire Pass where <laughs> I, I could barely get through. You yeah, had to squeeze through. So I, I know it well. So thanks very much. It's great to talk to you. Well,
1: thanks for having me today, Jay I appreciate
0: it. Our guest today has been Dave Pacheco, Utah grassroots organizer for the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. This has been Wilderness and Wildlife, a presentation of the Gallatin Wild Association in Bozeman, Montana. To hear more of these half-hour interviews, go online to js-wildness.com and see additional features on our website. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jay Shell.